Welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 19 years of healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My skill in moving energy combined with my medical background have been a catalyst for change in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. Hello and welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We're live here in Seattle. Welcome to another beautiful day of talking with beautiful people. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to interview people here on the show where energy and medicine meet. And I understand while I was gone in Sun Valley, Idaho, which by the way, I had so much fun. It was my fourth time there, my third time at the festival. Lovely. And my first time signing books and the festival, which was very fun. Um, one of my favorite things to do. Lovely people. Um, Jill Bolte-Taylor was the keynote speaker, and I've seen her speak before. Was Love. it sunny? No. <laughs> <laughs> it had moments of sun. But i got to change the name. Seriously. Even <laughs> Alan Cohen, because it snowed. And I know what it's like when I'm, I've am i been there you know, uh, this time of year four times now, and I always pack the biggest suitcase I have, so I have every type of clothing that I could possibly need. In fact, my friend Andrea and I have to really carry it carefully because th- I almost had to pay $100 to ship my my luggage, but luckily she was there grabbing stuff that she's going to send to me. Um, but uh, no, it's not sunny, or it wasn't when I was in Sun Valley. And Alan Cohen, he was giving a talk there too as well. He said, why do you guys call this place Sun Valley? I, it's never been warm when I'm here. Just wishful thinking, <laughs> Wishful right? thinking. Yeah. So I understand that in the last few days, um, Romney um, pulled it together. He sealed the deal, and he is now the Republican candidate. Yeah, he's officially got all the delegates he needs to uh, wow. be the official Republican candidate. Wow. But I, mean, I think people knew that was coming. Right. Not a big surprise. No, so. no. Yeah. So, and uh, I guess uh, Ron Paul has said that he is no longer going to campaign. And uh, finally, yeah. And <laughs> all, so he was the last of the stragglers in the Republican right, race to, to give it up. To give it up. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, so uh, here we go. It's uh, it's Romney versus Obama for the next. Uh, what do we got? Six months. Right. Right. And for those of you who haven't heard me speak about politics, you know, I am from a blue state. And I am a diehard liberal, so <laughs> we kind of know who I'm voting for. Um, but I hope that we have a very fun, interesting, healthy, um, you know, uh, exchange here between our politicians, right. and that whoever wins the office, which of course I think it's going to be Obama, but hopefully that'll be true. Who I I just uh, caught last night yeah. uh, on uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. It, he he was on uh, a couple months ago, but they reran it last night, and I finally got to see it. And I uh, saw a little bit of him slow jamming the news that was so controversial <laughs> and that his uh, interview with Jimmy Fallon, which was really good and, and pretty informative, too. So, uh, yes, I was surprised after watching it that there had been any controversy over it. You know what I mean? Um, uh, because it, he was, you know, very personable, very intelligent and lovely uh, and uh, great, uh, great information that he was talking about, you know, lovely. I mean, and that's what we hope for. Whoever wins, whoever gets the privilege of sitting in the Oval Office and make decisions that affect the world and those of us here at home, you know, that they do it with integrity and grace and compassion mm-hmm. and love for humanity and all the species that inhabit this planet so that we can all you know, continue to learn to live collectively in a positive way. And, you know, if he isn't reelected, I think he's got a career as a talk show host in the future. You know, he's good. Well, you know, you should let him know that heads up because (laughs) if he wins this election, that's his last term in office until someone changes that law. 
it, uh, if it, they do. It will be very interesting to see mm-hmm. what uh, Obama does uh, after his presidency. You know, right. well, let's hope it's four years down the line. But uh, it'll. I think it'll be really interesting to see because I he he's a youthful man. He he's is. very energetic. And I really think that he could go on to, I I don't know, there's no higher office in the land, but I think uh, he could really reinvent what it means to be an ex-president. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of reinventing um, today, I'm blessed and honored to have for the second time Dr. Bernie Siegel on the show today. For many, Dr. Bernie Siegel, or Bernie as he prefers to be called, needs no introduction. He has touched many lives all over the planet In 1978, he reached a national and then international audience when he began talking about patient empowerment and the choice to live fully and die in peace. As a physician who has cared for and counseled innumerable people whose mortality has been threatened by illness, Bernie embraces a philosophy of living and dying that stands at the forefront of the medical ethics and spiritual issues our society grapples with today. In May 2011, Bernie was honored by the Watkins Review of London, England is one of the top 20 spiritually influential living people on the planet. He continues to break new ground in the field of healing, supporting changes in medical education to humanize medical practice. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Thank you. I may comment on what you previously said. Sure, yeah, what go for it. What fascinates me is that in our area, when you see top graduates of all the high schools, the two-thirds to three-quarters are women. Wow. And I'd like to see a woman take over our country. Me too. And, and run the whole country as well as most businesses <laughs> and, and countries. You know, I think it would be a much healthier planet if it was run by the women. Wonder- well, thank you. You know, uh, I, I actually do think, I, I did not think that I would see an African-American man um be elected to presidency in my lifetime. And so, of course, I was over the moon thrilled, as I still am, and grateful um, that I get to see that in my years here and, you know, uh, while I'm here. And I do think a woman woman will win um, a presidency. uh, Someday. (laughs) Yeah, and before I leave the planet. So uh, I think it's very possible. Yeah, my other comment, um, I had a black minister visiting me one day, and I walked back to the car with him. I didn't realize he had friends there. And I see, I knew he would know the answer to this question. So I said to him, to the people in the car, I have a photograph of one of us, and you can't tell which one of us it's a photograph of. Hmm. What is it a photograph of? And, you know, they looked at me like I am out of my mind. He's <laughs> black, I'm white, what are you talking about? But the minister immediately pointed to his chest and said, our heart. Oh. You know, and, and the kids know that, too. I mean, it when you to ask that of third and fifth graders, where are we all alike? They all immediately point to our inside. Wow. And I say to everybody listening, remember, we're one family, all the same color inside. You know, the differences on the outside are so we recognize each other. I always say, so you don't have strangers coming to eat dinner at your house because we all look alike. But, um, you know, (laughs) but we are one family. And as a surgeon... I can tell you our insides impressed me enormously. They are quite beautiful and colorful. They are quite beautiful and colorful. And, you know, you have definitely changed the way that many people look at medicine, even though I think medicine is one of those slower areas for change, just like politics and education. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of been grounded in some old school teaching. 
And when I was at uh, the Sun Valley Wellness Festival, a common question I got uh, was, do I think that medicine is changing uh, quickly? And of course, I am the eternal optimist. And so I gave my optimistic point of view. But what I do think is changing is I think that the consumers are changing and the general public is changing. I think you have been an incredible catalyst for that. You've helped people to feel empowered. You've helped them to ask questions. You've helped them to not settle or compromise. Uh, you've been so incredibly influential in that area around the world. And, well, and Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think being a surgeon had a, a greater impact on people. Um, because, or, and even the medical profession, because I, I created conflict. I had an MD after my name. <laughs> right. Norman Cousins, who became a good friend, was still uh, Norman Cousins. You uh, know what I mean? Right. That's an anecdote. It's a history. So he didn't threaten doctors. But when I would get up, I was amazed at how angry some doctors <laughs> were. I can't accept that. You know, and it's like, wait a minute. Just because you can't explain or understand something is not a reason to deny it. Right. But I, I think it's really the exposure we don't get in medical school. Right. You see, I, I keep repeating this, that 90 years ago, at least, could be 100 by now, Carl Jung interpreted a dream and correctly diagnosed a brain tumor. Wow. Now, you ask any doctor or medical student, you know, if they were ever told that, and they say, no. Um, <laughs> you know, but I learned to say to my patients, what did they know about their body? See, my mammogram is fine, but the woman says, but I know there's something wrong. Right. I actually and so had... I would yeah. listen in biopsy and Wow. Yeah, the incidence of cancer, even if it was a tiny little thing, was literally I would say a hundred percent. I mean one of we have a book out now called The Book of Miracles. And right. one of the stories in it, this woman said she went to bed at night, a doctor walks into her bedroom in the dream mm-hmm. who has dark skin, has an accent and tells her she has a lump in her breast. She wakes up, feels it, and indeed, goes to the hospital. They examine her, diagnose cancer. She's lying on the examining table. Who walks into the room? Ah. The doctor from her dream. Wow. And talks to her about the cancer. Wow. Now, you see, when you feel safe, you tell a story like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned, too, as a doctor, that many of my patients, it's like when they realized I wasn't a normal doctor, they came in and told me stories, you see, that they weren't afraid. I would say, that's crazy, Uh, you know, so what? Um, I would listen and respond to them, even when their families looked at me like I was nuts, (laughs) you know, because families would come in and say, you know, my mother, you know, sees these things, dreams, hears voices, whatever. And I would say, that's wonderful, and go talk to the mother. And they're looking at me like, wonderful, we thought she's crazy. Um, But I saw it as a source of information. And I think that's what medicine has to do. One of the things is open up doctors' minds. I always say, so you don't just give information, you give some inspiration, and you open their minds so that they experience different things. And then when you're in practice, you don't shut the door when a patient has an unusual experience because you can say, oh, yeah, I remember I heard about that in medical school. And so you at least sit and listen. I, uh, I had the same experience with a client where 
um, she was she felt that there was something wrong with one of her breasts, and she of course went to her doctor, had a mammogram taken. You know, nothing was there, nothing to even biopsy from the physicians. Uh, from the results of the mammogram. And so she went home, but she just felt terrible about it, like there was something wrong. And she waited a few more months. She went and saw another doctor who said, you know, it does feel a little odd. It, it feels really odd. Let me, and they did an ultrasound and they found some tissue there that ha- was cancerous and she had it removed. What I love about those stories as well is because it was caught so early. I wonder how many times if we would listen we felt we had permission to listen to our natural guidance system that's helping us to prevent perhaps going through major surgery or major treatments that we could diagnose or have uh, th- those wonderful impressions to get to physicians who will listen yeah. to what we have to say. And, and to not be afraid to speak up. See, that's the survival behavior personality. Um, I know one young woman who died because the doctor said, you're too young to have cancer. She had a lump in her breast as a college student. Wow. She graduates from college, gets a job, has a pre-employment physical, and they say to her, why did you ignore this? What is the matter with you? Wow. She says, the doctor told me I'm too young to have cancer. Well, she ended up dying of what she was too young to have. Wow. And another woman, uh, this was a member of Congress, okay, um, you know, a bright, intelligent, assertive lady, who had a large lymph node. It's nothing, don't worry, it's nothing, don't worry. She saw five doctors because she knew it was something. And the fifth one basically said to her, you know, you're nuts, so I'll take it out. I mean, you're driving (laughs) us all crazy. And, of course, it was a lymphoma, Wow. you know, which then was treated. Wow. That's the part. I mean, we have to be assertive. You know, I'd say if you're wrong, you're wrong. Okay, but it's you, your body, your life, and don't die because of somebody else's mistake. I, I was telling Alyssa when we were driving over, my assistant, we were driving over in the car and we were reading one of your articles that you speak about um, that people need to be outspoken and not settle. Right. And And I was telling her that when I walked onto the floor and one of my patients was a cranky, angry old lady, and you know, old is relative now that I'm in my 50s, um, I, I would, I'd always be so happy because I knew she was going home. No matter what was wrong with her, I knew that that hospital stay was not where she was going to end her life. Right. And yeah, I call it survival behavior. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I learned that the patients that drove you crazy, oh yeah, you know, always went home because, I, uh, you know, I call it being a character because oh. they were treated as people. Right. You know, they didn't die due to medical errors because everybody knew who they were. I mean, there are a lot of factors involved, um, and I try to teach that to people. Go to the hospital. Don't be a good patient. <laughs> you know, I mean, the definition of patient literally derives from submissive sufferer. Wow. So if you're a submissive sufferer, uh, you can end up in big trouble. Let me read you a paragraph from something, because of what you were talking about, I, I wrote for our local paper. What I hope the future of medicine will be is to create a humanistic specialty caring for people rather than one which deals with disease. People live an experience and not a diagnosis. The American College of Surgeons, and I've been after them for decades and finally gave up. This is the <laughs> pledge when you join, which I never took. I will deal, this is the end of it, I will deal with my patients as I would wish to be dealt with if I were in the patient's position. I wrote to them. I said, how can you say that? Why don't you take out the word deal and put in, I will care for my patients? Yeah, I will love and honor and So they let me write an article, you know, (laughs) but they never changed 
the pledge. Ah. It, 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 I don't know how any doctor can get up to deal with. I said, if I go to an automobile dealer, I expect to be dealt with, <laughs> but not if I go to a doctor. Right. And another was an ad in the New England Journal of Medicine from Sandoz Pharmaceutical Company a few years ago. It said, I'm depressed, unable to cope. I went to see my physician. He prescribed an antidepressant. I feel much better now. <laughs> I wrote to them. I said, how can you publish this? I said, my family was killed in a plane crash. I'm depressed. And all I get from the doctor is a pill. Right. Not even another sentence in there that says, sit down, tell me what's happened in your life. Right. And, and, and that... they canceled the ad. Oh, thank, but thank you. Thank you. The, the depersonalizing part, right. and another, excuse me for laughing, was, you see, even how people care about themselves. Uh, your cat dies of lung cancer because you and your husband smoke. Right. So I always say to the audience, and you have eight cats who are having breathing problems now, what do you do? Will you stop smoking? I say, no, that's not the right answer. This letter to the magazine ends in, Doug and I now smoke in the yard. We love our cats more than the convenience of smoking indoors. We're not killing our cats anymore. We just hope ourselves? We're not killing yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just now, ourselves. How, uh, somebody can publish that and not say that, you know, it's okay to kill yourself. Right. You know, I write letters and they don't put mine in. But, you know, people need to love themselves and mm -hmm. the doctors need to treat their experience, mm -hmm. which includes how were you brought up, you know, were you abused? neglected, don't feel loved, you know, why are you self-destructive? I always say, it's saying to a smoker, it's no good for you. Of course they know that. Right. You know, when I was just somewhere, oh, I guess it was in Stop and Chop today. I heard a couple of employees say, let's go outside and have a cigarette. You know, I, I, it was very hard for me to keep my mouth shut and not say, why don't you love yourself? Go outside and love yourself. Oh. Because even some, um, I won't mention names of the companies, but... An article in the paper said that one of the local companies was building an outdoor shed. This was a few years ago for their smoking employees so there'd be no smoking in the building. Mm. I wrote to them and I said, why don't you say to your employees, we love you. We will provide money for you to take, you know, a course or see a therapist. Right. Or, you know, so you stop smoking rather than <laughs> you want to kill yourself, do it outside. <laughs> You're so because, funny. I love it. You have such well, a great you know, sense of humor. To me, it's reparenting. And I mean mm -hmm. that literally, mm -hmm. that when I let my patients know I love you, I may not like how you're behaving. You know, it's no different than our children. I can right. say to them, I love you. I don't like how you're behaving. Right. I love you. I, what I saw was when I persisted in that love, you know, by giving them return visits, no matter how they behave, what they did, they ultimately changed because they realized this guy does care about me so i must be worth something mm. and then they began to stop the self-destructive behavior mm. that's wonderful absolutely wonderful so uh i just want to open up a, a little bit something else as well same topic um, before we take a break um, so i think and i think you think this as well that i think medical school has a lot to do with what happens to young perhaps caring uh, individuals who want to help other people. I think. Well, I would interrupt you there yeah. already because one dean said most of the medical school applications said, you know, why do you want to be a doctor? Yeah. I'm fascinated by the human body. Mm. Now think about that. Who comes in it? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And 
what shocked me, I do a lot of work with dreams and drawings, and I said to medical students, a whole class one day, I was speaking at a medical school, I said, draw yourself working as a doctor. Okay? Yes. There, there are pictures handed to me with no people in them. Wow. Computers, you know, medications, you know, diet, instruments, all kinds of things. Wow. Then the majority, you see the future doctor sitting behind a desk with a diploma on the wall behind him. Wow. Not a patient in the room. Wow. And the minority, which thrilled me, you see a student doctor kneeling in front of a wheelchair handing somebody a tissue. Wow. See, that kid knows what doctoring is about. It isn't about touching the person with your stethoscope. It's about relating to them as a person. So it's... And when you look at patients' drawings, you get the same thing. Uh-huh. You know, draw, draw yourself in the operating room or any kind of treatment. And when you see the doctor touching the patient, holding hands, um, it, it's a beautiful picture. And you know that patient will do well. Whereas when the doctor's all hidden, you know, behind the cap mask and gown or touching them with the stethoscope and that, you know, no personal relationship, mm-hmm. they're not going to do very well. They're going to have lots of side effects and problems. So you're saying that it's even what, who they choose to enter into medical school? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, you see, again, that's why I say you don't truly get an education mm-hmm. in medical school. I wrote to many deans after I graduated. I wasn't prepared for the fact my patients are going to die, right. that children get cancer. I mean, all this emotional stuff was just tearing my heart out because <laughs> I cared about people. And I wrote to the deans. I said, you prepared me to be an excellent surgeon, but you didn't teach me how to take care of patients or myself. Wow. Nobody wrote back to me. <laughs> and I completely... I mean, that, that yeah. really upset me that I didn't even get a form letter back. So you talk about the president. I write to the White House. I get a letter. It says, <laughs> we got your letter. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know if Obama ever reads it, but at least I know somebody in his office opened it, <laughs> looked at it. But you write to a dean of a medical school, and you don't even know if it ever got to them or mm-hmm. just went in the wastebasket. I had you know, this. That it meant nothing to them. I had this interesting experience um, while working as an oncology nurse, and it was kind of my last straw about staying in nursing. Um, and... Uh, of course, uh, I worked in oncology, and we had a patient that was very, very sick, definitely very passive, and had gone through numerous amounts of treatments, had been in the hospital for months. Um, I, I really felt like we were torturing her is how I felt, because she got every side effect, every fungal, bacterial infection. So she was just bombarded with all kinds of treatments. And she eventually did die of uh, probably the treatment more than her disease. And um her, her oncologist, we were all at the nurse's station, you know, maybe several hours after she had passed away. And it was very, you know, sad and touching. And, and he said very loud, he was charting in her chart, and he said, but at least she didn't die of cancer. And, and I, rem- I felt like it was such an unhumane comment to make. Right. And who cared what she died from? I mean, the, right. she passed away and she suffered greatly, you know, during her attempts to heal her body. And I just remember looking in at him, just shocked as could be that that, and he felt happy, like he had succeeded. Yeah, he wasn't a failure. No. I know, yeah. that's the sick part. Yeah. You see, it's, I'm, I'm surprised, did he really say the word died? Yeah. All right, because yeah. that's a little healthier, because <laughs> most doctors don't even use the word died or dead. Right. They passed. Right. Lost, failed. And, and I learned from Mother Teresa that 
as she said, I won't attend an anti-war rally. If you ever have a peace rally, call me. Right. And I realized I had to help people heal their lives. See, that was what changed my life. A patient of mine with breast cancer, a young woman, said, I need to know how to live between office visits. <laughs> and that, you see, refocused me that even if I didn't cure her disease, if I helped her to live, I accomplished something. Wonderful. But, of course, what you learn is when you help people live, they don't die when they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They yes. feel so much better about life. And that's exactly. something, again, that doctors were calling me crazy. You're blaming patients. Why are you asking them about their life? Because it participates in their health. Wow. And if I knew what was happening in their life, that's why I get back to that word experience. And, and to everybody listening to this, as well as yourself, if you have a problem in your life, Say to yourself, how would I describe this problem to someone else? Mm. See, that's not, you could say I lost my job. I said, that's a diagnosis. See, I have cancer. I said, that doesn't tell me what you're going through. So when words come out like failure, roadblock, confusion, draining, um, pressure, then I say, how do those words fit your life? Wow. See, what else in your life fits those? Mm. Now, if they come up with positive words, wonderful. They wake up call, new beginning. Okay, I don't need to worry about you. But the other stuff, you see, if they say, oh, yeah, what's causing pressure? What's draining me? Right. Wow. Get those wow. things out of your life. Wow. And it really is amazing. The stories I've heard from people after they say that word, you know, um, and then they look at me like, wow, thank you. Wow. I mean, that can include a marriage, a job, parents right. committing suicide. I mean, all kinds of things that have gone on in people's lives. Right. Well, Dr. Bernie Siegel, we're going to take a break here on the show. We actually have many people who've called in, so I hope that you would like to offer some lovely um, remedies for whatever ails them. I have a fee, of course. You know. Of course, absolutely. All right. <laughs> we're going to take a break here, and we'll be right back with Dr. Bernie Siegel. Do you live on the East Coast or have the desire to travel there in the near future? Marie will be headed your way in September to teach at Squam in New Hampshire. What is Squam, you ask? Squam retreats bring great people together at a beautiful venue to focus on creativity and self-expression. This fall, Marie will be teaching two workshops on intuition and creativity. Come join Marie at Squam, September 12th through 16th. For more information, please visit squamartworkshops.com. There's an exciting new Astrology Hour, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. with Deborah Silverman. Deborah's unique blend of psychology and astrology turns planetary language into plain English. Join us for an interactive hour that's guaranteed to give you personal insights in a fun and entertaining way. Tune in to Deborah Silverman Live. Whatever your life question, marriage, job, family, relocation, or just curiosity, call for a live reading. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. and visit Deborah's website at DebraSilvermanAstrology.com. When you're faced with important decisions in your life, do you ever feel like you're groping for answers in the dark? In our relationships, our careers, our health, and even on our spiritual journey, we often feel like we're just making our best guess about what to do next. That's because our rational mind, the part of us that has to think through our decisions, can only see a tiny part of the big picture. But what if you could know more? Join Marie for her live six-week online event, Attuning to the Unseen World. You can register for this class at any time. All sessions are available to download after they air. Register now at soundstrue.com. 
Are you looking for the best skincare treatment in the Pacific Northwest? Sick of regular spa facials that don't address the problems you seek to correct? Dermaspace, home of the iDerm Facial Treatment, was recently voted Best Facial in Western Washington for 2011 by King 5 Evening Magazine viewers. Our frequent guest of the Marie Manucherry Show, Jody Leon, has brought one of Hollywood's best-kept skincare secrets to the Pacific Northwest. This is skin detox at its best. Cleanse, hydrate, rejuvenate. Perfect for men and women of all ages who wish to address problem skin in addition to its amazing anti-aging benefits. It's physical therapy for your skin. The Iderm Facial Treatment has been used by A-list celebrities and clientele of all walks of life for over 70 years. Jody Leon, skin guru and owner of Dermaspace, is proud to be the only licensed esthetician certified to perform the Iderm Facial Treatment in the Pacific Northwest. For more information and a book online, visit Dermaspace.com. That's Dermaspace.com. Or call 206-849-6620. 1150kknw.com. Your connection to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We're live here in not too sunny uh, Seattle, <laughs> just like, but warmer than Sun Valley, I must admit. On Saturday, June 2nd, I will be at the Bellevue Barnes & Noble doing a book signing for Intuitive Self-Healing. I hope you can join me. It's at 2 o'clock. Of course, it's free, and I will be doing live readings, as I always do, um, on the radio or in public venues. And then on June 22nd, I will be at East West Bookshop teaching a workshop on how to communicate with your spirit guides. It's between 7.30 and 9 p.m., um, and it's to help celebrate my six CD lesson program, How to Communicate with Your Spirit Guides, both from Sounds True. So I'm looking forward to meeting more people and signing and laughing and having a wonderful time with you. And so, um, Dr. Siegel, we're, I know you like to be called Bernie, so I'll call you Bernie. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go to the phone lines. Who do we have, Eric? Let's talk to Sue down at Los Angeles. Hi, Marie. Hi, how are you? I'm um, I'm all right. I have talked to you a couple of times and... You have such a skill in moving energy. I just haven't had the energy or even the willpower or the motivation to really do anything that used to motivate me, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh Well, um, Dr. Siegel and I, we were chatting just um, a moment in the break. And Bernie, you talked about humor briefly, about how that can change energy. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. I I laugh and I talk a lot when I'm at work. It's just when I'm alone, uh-huh. um, I don't have. Right. Like I did get my legs waxed just now, but it's, <laughs> now I'm ready to go take a nap instead right. of enjoying the blue skies right. that I keep hearing you talk about the gray. Right. So I'm. So I'm I, wondering if there's any energy is, yeah. is in my head, or is there any energy blocks or right. drains so, or. I'm going to go ahead and read your energy, and um, we're calling Bernie because we think we lost him. So he's he's ha- having fun with his dogs and Connecticut in the moment. But you have a lot of leaking of energy in your auric field. And I do remember you. I've spoken to you before, and I don't remember seeing this much leak. Has something happened in the last month or so in your life or around you that— uh, Well, the guy that I was seeing, oh. um, he did come over and— we did a trade with the bracelet and money, and I wanted to hold on to the bracelet a little bit longer, and he yelled at me on the phone, and then I returned the bracelet and said, I don't, and then he wrote me an email and said, I don't need it anymore. Huh. So that could 
possibly yeah. be part of it. So when we leak energy out of our, our body, or in your case, your auric system, there's like this huge flow of energy, your life force, your vital life force is literally coming out of your body. Mm. And so that's what makes us exhausted. One of the things that can really deplete our energy system. And so my first question, as you were describing, you know, the interaction between this gentleman, it's like, why do you, because you still care about him and, and you still kind of wish he was in your life. And, and I would, my question is why, why, why do you feel that way? Because it's not a good fit for you. Even in the breakup, it's not very fun. So I, I agree with you, and I've known him for like 20, 20 who years. Who cares? So I, I, I don't know why. Right. I think it's a pattern. It's a pattern where uh-huh. you allow people into your life who don't honor you and really cherish you or let you feel fabulous. And, and I think it's important that you learn to go against that pattern. You know, even in my own family, like my family of origin, my siblings and my mom, if I feel that our relationship isn't going in a great way for me, I don't spend a lot of time talking with them or hanging out with them. And I even tell them, you know, it's a little negative. And, and you know, we've already had this conversation before, so they'll literally say, oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, am I being negative again? And I'll say, yeah, and I'm going to go. So mm-hmm. it's about setting boundaries with yourself to only allow wonderful and amazing things in your life. Uh, that's what I think. So, hi, Dr. Siegel. We lost you for I, a moment. I only heard the first part, but let me say this. First, yeah. just from your symptoms, I'd say make sure you don't have a problem with the thyroid. Ah. Uh, the other is, because that's often, I mean, just the things you were describing that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the other is uh, something I love reading Joseph Campbell that Nietzsche said, love your fate. And Joseph Campbell said, he's trying to tell us when you're going through hell, ask, what am I to learn from this? Yeah. And see, then I I love comparing it to hunger. Hunger leads you to get something to eat, to nourish Mm -hmm. yourself. So ask yourself, if you don't like how you're feeling, depression, anything else, what nourishment do I need to bring into my life? Mm -hmm. Then you don't get depressed about being depressed because (laughs) you're using it to motivate you. Mm -hmm. See, it becomes a labor pain. That's what I call life. Mm -hmm. But if you give birth to yourself, it's worth it. Mm. And the other is just to laugh for no reason. A study that was done, I think it was in Denmark, mm-hmm. cancer patients were told to laugh for no reason four or five I, times. I do laugh a lot, All right. but not when I'm alone, but I do ah, laugh a lot. No, a... but even when you're yeah. alone, see, okay. this is every few hours, because what they learned was those who weren't told to laugh, the control group, you know, laughed if something funny happened, the ones who laugh for no reason lived longer than those who didn't. And what I find is, again, it's it, you change your body chemistry. See, that's what you have to realize, that it's not just in your brain, so to speak, in your mind. It's in your body. Mm-hmm. Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. Wow. So your feelings become your chemistry. And if you start laughing, um, and I've tested this many times, <laughs> Usually when I'm walking our dog, so people don't think I'm crazy, um, you know, because if you're walking down the street and you're laughing, they assume something funny happened. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, you laugh, and it's hard to stop after a few minutes, mm-hmm. and your whole body feels better. Even if you're having a terrible day, it, you have changed your chemistry, and your body gets a different message and helps you perk up and move on. You know, when you talked about dogs, Sue, do you have any pets? I have a horse and two cats, and I have one cat laying right on my Yeah, good. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that, that changes you, too. Mm-hmm. People who had a heart attack went home to a house with a dog. A year later, 5% had died. Yeah. 
if you had no dog, 26% had died. I, I kind of think the dog thing's a good idea. And I know I, you know, I hate to ask you to go, oh, could you go get another thing you have to take care of? And it's more demanding than a cat. That's yeah. for sure. I got a better idea. What? See, actors in a comedy, their immune function improves, stress hormone levels go down. Give them a tragedy to read, and the opposite happens. Mm. So what I always say to people is you have to act and behave as if you're the person you want to be. And the motto is WWLD. What would Lassie do? <laughs> so become a dog and you won't have any problems. <laughs> you are I mean so it. Do adorable. you ever have your cat or dog or horse come over and say, I'm having a lousy day? Yeah. You know, if they don't like what's happening, they let you know. <laughs> yeah. So speak up. <laughs> yeah. That, How do I not let my energy leak, though, going back to what you said, Marie? Yeah, well, it's a pattern. You've been in this pattern where you are used to letting people to be in, in your life that don't appreciate and love and cherish you. And you do all the loving, appreciating, and cherishing, by the way. And that's why it's hard for you to disconnect even from those people who aren't showing you that type of affection and mm-hmm. love. So and that's have... not survival behavior. Mm-hmm. Ask for what you need and say no to what you don't want. To quote a country western lyric, let your heart make up your mind. Well, I did ask. I did ask that I wanted to hold the braces for a little longer, and then I got yelled. Yeah, but you know, that's that's information. The information is he can't do that for you. He's not right. willing to. And that's good information. That's like, that's a deal breaker. Oh, got it. that's a deal breaker. You're here for a limited amount of time. Why be unhappy? Got it. I mean, my therapist is death. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm here for a limited time, so I don't let other people deprive me of oh, you're my life. So freaking cute! I want that therapist. That's yeah. really great. I've written a poem called "Death." What a wonderful teacher you are about life. I, I, See, I re- when people, I mean, I'm dealing with people with life-threatening illnesses who decide to do what they want to do when they're told they have a few months left to live. Wow. And I have letters that then end with, I didn't die, and I'm so busy, I'm killing myself. Um, <laughs> you know, that included, in this lady's case, getting a dog. <laughs> right. Dogs are dogs are good yeah. about teaching ourselves how to feel loved because they are so adoring to the people in their lives. And they really know how to show what unconditional love is. Cats, not so much. Cats are like, eh, I don't want to be by you right now. I don't mm-hmm. like that cat food right now. I'm going up to bed. But dogs just love you no matter what. But and, they can, we have one that is quite demanding. Really? Also. <laughs> I have to drive with one arm and pet him if he's in the front seat. Aww. You know, I mean, things like that. But again, he's teaching me. You right. need something, ask. Right. Yeah. I remember um, the first time I fell in love, which wasn't in my 20s. I was much older, actually. And the young man told me, uh, he said, you know, you have every right to ask a partner or a friend or anyone that you're considering to be in your life any question you want. And then you get to decide if their answer is good enough for your happiness. Mm-hmm. So, the nurses yeah. have a lot of trouble saying no. I mean, the question is, if you're asked to do something by friends or family and you don't want to do it, how would you respond? And I was surprised at how many nurses said I would do it. But you see, that's like their personality of the nurse. But you're saying no to yourself when you say yes to everybody else if you you don't want to do something. So learn to say yes to yourself and no to the world when it's appropriate. Lovely. Thank you so much, Sue. Have a gorgeous day in L.A. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. Thank you, Bernie. Bye-bye. Thank you. So now where are we going, Eric? Let's talk to Daniel in France. Wow. Great. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Hello? 
Hello, Daniel. All right, let's let's uh, put uh, Daniel back on hold and okay. we'll try him again later. Great. Let's Can talk- I mention one other thing because I never stopped talking? Um, <laughs> you know, when I was thinking about humor, I was also thinking about the childlike humor. I mean, things I do when I'm out in the world. You know, when people say, well, I've had a lawyer give me contracts, they sign here. So I wrote here all over it. Aww. And he thanked me for getting his office to laugh, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, print name. I write, you know, N-A-M-E on form. <laughs> and, um, oh, the other day we went into a restaurant and in the front door it said wet floor. And as customers were coming out, I said, any of you want to join me and wet the floor? And, you know, and everybody starts laughing because here's this crazy kid. Uh, you know, and and then you connect with the kid and the other person, right? And I say to to not let the kid in you die, so that the world becomes a little more interesting and there's a little more humor in it. Wonderful. So, who's our next caller, Eric? Let's talk to Annette in Federal Way. Wonderful. Hi, Annette. How are you? Hi. Hey, I'm great. I'm really enjoying the show. Um, and it's funny that you're talking about dogs because I have a dog question for both of you. Um, I was wondering, Marie, if you could a reading on my dog. We just seem to be at a dead end to what's going on with him. Mm. And then I was going to ask Bernie what, you know, we have kids and if something were to happen, how you, ah. that, you know, that type of, it's going to happen right. in a lifetime. And, um, you know, they're, they're younger kids. So. All right. Let me, let me say both things. I learned that consciousness is non-local from several experiences in my life, including near death and other things. But what totally convinced me was a friend of mine, Amelia Kincaid, who's written books about it, who told me while sitting in Los Angeles where to find a cat that was missing in Connecticut. Because I assumed it was dead. Oh, dead right. In the I remember woods. this story. Yeah. yeah. And she went into such detail oh my that gosh. it blew my mind. And I picked up the cat the next morning. And what she See, it's an eternal theme. It's in myths, fairy tales. The ugly duckling knows he's a swan looking in a still pond. The tiger raised by goats is taken by another tiger to a still pond and says, Dumbbell, you're not a goat. Say, you're a tiger. And as Amelia said to me, Bernie, quiet your mind and you will get into the animal's mind. And believe me, I have had conversations with rabbits, dogs, and cats. <laughs> and and I know it's a conversation because it's not something I have made up. If we have time, I can tell you some of the stories. But they're, they're incredible and amazing. So with the animals, quiet your mind. And you don't, it's nonverbal, but talk in your head to them and then listen. Mm-hmm. With the children, it's mottos to live by. They need to know you love them. I didn't say that you should never get angry, but you're not telling them. See, you can say, I don't like your behavior, not you're a failure, you embarrass me. I'm dressing you in dark clothes and nobody will notice you. (laughs) See, the opposite of love is indifference and worse is rejection and abuse. Let them know their love. Then they don't have to drive you crazy to get attention and tell them these three things. I don't know what to do. Do what will make you happy. I I had a terrible day today. God is redirecting you. Something good will come of it. See, and I want to impress the neighbors. How can I be a success? I th- Material I think things let's... are to make the world a better place, not to accumulate. When you're happy, you'll be a success. 
I think what's interesting too about what's happening with the kids is they're getting an experience about that not everything lasts forever, you right. know, and that death is a normal part of life. And I think yes. pets do that for us. Your pet, my book, uh, yeah. Buddy's Candle. Oh yeah, that's a great book that I learned, and then put it in a book form. You know, if you lose a loved one of any species, it's the same message. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and your dog just feels completely and totally exhausted to me. I mean, just completely yeah. worn out. Uh, it's definitely an immune situation. That's why they're not able to diagnose it well, because unfortunately, in most conventional medicine practices, even veterinarian, they don't really understand the immune system very well. How old is your pet? Nine. Nine. So, you know, he's at that interesting time period where some breeds of dogs decide to leave this place. Um, and and, and he, he, I do feel him getting closer and closer towards that other side area, but I do think he's going to have... Um, something's going to happen and he's going to have a shift and stay a little bit longer. Like he could even make it to 10, which is lovely. So you might see it coming and going, like his his symptoms improve and then he he falls back to fatigue again. It could be his adrenal glands. um, I mean, it could be, it's autoimmune for absolute positive sure. And from my intuitive hit that I'm picking up on. So he may have a reemergence and then he may have um, some depletion. Do you have your pet on a grain-free diet? I do. Yeah. How long has he been on that? Um, you know, a year, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Off and on, and then I'll, you know, maybe try another dog food. I always try to watch that it's grain-free. Yeah. And that's helping him then. It is. It's really, you know, animals, um, at least a lot of animals, there's a lot of toxins in grain, even for humans. And so um, it, I highly recommend grain-free diet. It does much better for them. And hydration. He seems dehydrated, too. Poor little thing. He just, just drinks like crazy. Ah. so I don't know. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Can I add yes, one more please. thing to energy? Uh, there's a book out called The Energy Cure by William Bengston. Yeah, and I have I've met. interviewed him. Yes. Yeah, and years ago, one of our dogs had extensive cancer, and the vet said, let's euthanize him. I've never seen a dog this sick recover. And the children said to me, no, you don't put your patients to sleep. You're not putting Oscar to sleep. That was his <laughs> name. So I brought him home, and I loved him. Oh. I massaged him, hands-on. Yeah. We shared dinner. We shared vitamins. I mean, and he was lying on the floor. And I noticed in a week he was on his feet. And another week he's out the door and he lived for years. And the vet Excellent. would always see me and say, I've never seen anything like that before. I realized after the book came out, basically what I did to Oscar was through my hand. They put your hands on the dog and feel you're like the cable from the battery. Okay, the energy is coming from a higher source. But you are sending it into him, and you'll feel your hands get warm. And spend 5, 10, 20 minutes, whatever time you have. But picture him doing what he loves to do, running around, doing things. You know, just fill your mind with those pleasant pictures. And just do it every day to him. And I I have seen it happen and work in our pets and our family. I think it's a fantastic idea, and that's probably why... I don't see him going south right now and that I can see one more year and that could certainly turn into others. But no, I think that's a great idea. Do some energy work on your beautiful pet and uh, then you can turn him around for a little bit longer. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a gorgeous day. Thank you both. All Bye-bye. Now, Daniel is back from France, I noticed. Well, I think he's still in France, but we'll (laughs) we'll try and talk to him again this time. Daniel, are you there? Yes. Hello, right. Eric. In 
and Marie and Bernie, if I get cut off again, this is my third time. I wish you a good day, and I will talk to you some other time. (laughs) How are you? Great. What can we do for you? I'm just like a a little... um, uh, a little intuition, uh, because mine isn't working right now. Uh, I live in France. I've been here for oof, over 20 years. I've had my career here. I have my apartment here. And it's time to spend more time with my mother, who's in Florida. And it's not an easy change to make. Um, I have health insurance here. I won't Good have it when I get back. Good health insurance, by the way. Great health insurance in France. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you know it's got a lot of good things going for it, huh? The, the country. So, uh, let so me, I really yes. Can I let me do this and interrupt in this sense that you see when patients come to me and say I don't know what job to take, uh, I don't know where to go to college, I don't know what treatment mm. to take. My statement is draw yourself with your options. And I would say to you, get a box of crayons, draw a picture of yourself in Florida, draw a picture of yourself in France. And if you have any other options, even if you said, I might move to New York, you know, I do have a third one. He does. And then, you know, you could email them to me. I could look at them for you. But, or what you do is a day after you draw them, sit down with them because then your unconscious has, you know, stop blinding you to what you put on the picture, and you will look at it and see which looks like the right thing. And even though there may be some problems, like you say, medical care and so forth, you'll still see which is the best choice for you and makes yeah. you happy. Yeah. I, well, I, yeah. I'm not really overly concerned about medical right away. I'm lucky right. I feel good right now. Uh, uh, but it is the idea of... Um, Going to an area where my I'm a dancer and oh. I've danced all my life and well I started a little bit late, but uh, you know the idea of going back and uh, working, I just see a lot of dance competitions right. and all the kind of side of it that doesn't attract me at all, um, and it's I kind of feel like I'm going to a place that doesn't really resonate with me too much. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that you've got to empower yourself. Mm-hmm. When you choose life, uh, that's something I saw when we got into these miracle stories. When people chose life, meaning not what was just good for them, but what was good for the planet, so to speak, for everybody, mm-hmm. that's when amazing things happened. You know, who they met, the job that was offered, um, <laughs> And, and that's the part I'd say to you. You have to choose life. What is your way of giving life to the world and the planet and other people? Right. You know, I think it's going to be your third choice, by the way, even though I don't know what that is. I don't think you're going to end up putting roots in Florida. I don't think your body's actually going to like the, the energy or the heat or something about it is doesn't work for you. And I, I know you'll spend time with your mom, so most likely your third place will be someplace in the state so you can get to her back and forth more often. Um, but I feel or you could tell her to move to France. Seriously, because I feel all this grief about France. I mean, just enormous grief about leaving this life that you've loved for so long. Well, it's it's the it's the opportunities I had to develop what I what interest.
interests me deeply, mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of fell here in a golden age where there was a lot of help for theater, and I wasn't ever a natural talent that would have just wowed people right away. <laughs> but I was able to stay here and um, and do things over time. Yeah. Well, I... And, uh, I think one of the things that's going to happen, I don't know what your third choice is, but you're going to do some teaching. So, and that's going to be very fun for you, like theatrical teaching. And maybe you'll end up in a university or a college town. I don't really know, but I see lots and lots of teaching. And of course, you'll be doing performances too. And um, okay. maybe you'll even return to France or spend a lot of time there. Um, because you've, you know, there's a part of you that's kind of, even though there's a tremendous grief, there's excitement about something new. Uh huh. Is that true? Uh, I'll just give you, let me throw something at you. What does Bogota sound like to you? <laughs> huh. Well, how does it sound to you? Uh, uh, That's why I drew a picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dr. Siegel wants your picture. The energy absolutely picked up when you mentioned that. Right. Absolutely. And that's what uh, you, how you want to follow, right, Bernie, is you go by what the energy yeah. says. See, you, Jung said... The future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. You can go to a mystic and they'll tell you, but you also have that wisdom in you. Your unconscious knows where you're headed, what's best for you. Right. It's got to be See, if fun. I said to you, should you have an operation or not, <laughs> and draw yourself in the operating room, it could look like heaven or hell, you see. But you, what you can also do is reprogram yourself. If you said, well, I'm going to have an operation, okay, then picture it as being a wonderful experience. Yeah. So all these things enter into it. It's like, a, it's like when you move to France and you, you, as you said, you know, moved into this beautiful gold mine of experiences that changed you forever. That's what's going to happen when you move. You're going to have another gold mine of experiences that are going to change you forever. And you know it, but it's just hard to believe that that's going to happen again. Yeah, it's just, it's been very, it's been incubating very slowly, you know, (laughs) and, uh, well, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross used to say, there are no coincidences. So you're creating your future, you know, by your decision each day, as you said. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Daniel. We're running out of time here on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. uh, that's the best line of all. Remember, someday you're going to run out of time. So do what makes you happy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you. We wish you a gorgeous day in lavender-blooming France right now. Alrighty. So, um, Bernie, thank you so much for coming on the show. You, as always, are a beautiful blessing, a great inspiration, and funny it's as fun heck. To be with you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love having you on the show. It's Thanks. wonderful. And your newest book. Um, oh, yeah, Book of Miracles. Absolutely, That's yes. Wonderful we, story. Wonderful yeah. stories. And thank you. Have a great day in Connecticut. Thanks. All my love to you, Bernie. Okay, I was going to say I love you. Bye-bye. Aww. Thank you. And joyful blessings, everyone. I will be back next week speaking with Lee Fortson, the author of Embrace, Release, Heal, all about healing cancer. Have a gorgeous day wherever you are in the world. Joyful blessings. Bye-bye. Are you looking for the best skincare treatment in the Pacific Northwest? Sick of regular spa facials that don't address the problems you seek to correct? Dermaspace, home of the iDerm Facial Treatment, was recently voted Best Facial in Western Washington for 2011 by King 5 Evening Magazine viewers. 
A frequent guest of the Marie Manucherry Show, Jody Leon has brought one of Hollywood's best kept skincare secrets to the Pacific Northwest. This is skin detox at its best. Cleanse, hydrate, rejuvenate. Perfect for men and women of all ages who wish to address problem skin in addition to its amazing anti-aging benefits. It's physical therapy for your skin. The Iderm facial treatment has been used by A-list celebrities and clientele of all walks of life for over 70 years. Jody Leon, skin guru and owner of Dermaspace, is proud to be the only licensed esthetician certified to perform the Iderm facial treatment in the Pacific Northwest. For more information and to book online, visit Dermaspace.com. That's Dermaspace.com. Or call 206-849-6620.